0: Listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. This is the Warrior Priest Podcast, midweek debrief number 17. And I'm the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. It is Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. And already this week, in just three days, much has happened. We're still In the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, coronavirus is still on everybody's minds. Different states, depending on where you live, are in different states of sheltering at home, opening back up, people going about their lives or not. But most recently, where I live at in Minnesota, I live about 40 miles south of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And within the last 48 hours, a man, George Floyd, was murdered. By a police officer, while three other police officers stood by and did nothing. As a consequence, the city exploded, and the level of civil unrest is much higher than I've seen in quite a long time, actually. I think part of that is the fear and the anxiety and insecurity that was already there as a consequence of the coronavirus, and specifically the mayor of Minneapolis's handling thus far of the coronavirus, the governor of Minnesota's handling of the coronavirus, the media's handling of information regarding the coronavirus has already had people, gotten people wound up, afraid, insecure, anxious. It's hot and it's humid because it's spring. Add to that the simmering tension between the Police in Minneapolis and the community, which has been there for decades, by the way. When I was in college in the early 90s, it was a known fact and testified to by primary documents of the time that if you did not want to have an altercation with the Minneapolis police, you did not hang around in downtown Minneapolis after 11 o'clock at night. In fact, more than once, someone was handcuffed to a radiator in the back of a bar or a nightclub and beaten, sometimes beaten to death by Minneapolis police for one reason or another, one self-justifying reason or another. But then I talk to old timers who were around Minneapolis in the 70s and 80s, and they talk about Minneapolis police beating up homeless people and junkies and prostitutes in broad daylight on the street. There's a long-standing institutionalized corruption within the Minneapolis police department, in my opinion, based on primary documents, court documents, anecdotes from friends and acquaintances. And more than that, in this instance, where this man, George Floyd, was murdered by this police officer, it did not have to happen. As far as we know, based on the video that we have, and this is 2020, someone on their phone was there on the scene less than 10 feet from the incident and recorded, I think five to seven minutes of what happened. So it's not just a matter of, well, you have to understand this in context. You don't have enough to go from. This isn't a 30 second or a one minute clip. This is a five to seven minute video. It's documented and it didn't have to happen in my opinion. For those of you who are martial artists, for those of you who have seen the video, if you haven't seen the video, I encourage you to watch the video, watch it and make up your own mind, judge for yourself. This is my opinion. But as a martial artist, I know how long I can squeeze your throat, how long I can choke you before you will be rendered unconscious. I also therefore know how long I can choke you before I can kill you. And it's not five minutes. It's not seven minutes. It's roughly 20 seconds. In roughly 10 seconds, I can choke you unconscious. In 20 to 30 seconds, I can kill you. If I put my knee on your esophagus or I put it on your throat and I put all of my body weight, all 180 pounds of me, and I focus all of that weight into my kneecap and I put my kneecap in your throat, I will choke you to death in no time at all. I don't need five minutes. I don't need seven minutes. I need seconds. That's all. The reason I bring this up Because about a year, year and a half ago, the mayor of Minneapolis and the police chief of Minneapolis came out and said that they had forbade law enforcement from seeking training in combative martial arts, as they put it, meaning jujitsu, Muay Thai, wrestling, kickboxing, boxing, but specifically MMA related martial arts. The reason for this, the justification was that it would create an intimidating dynamic between law enforcement and the communities and that they wanted the police officers and the communities to build a relationship based on trust and respect, and that that would introduce a dynamic that was intimidating. Now, had those four police officers, had that one police officer who put his knee on George's throat, had he had jujitsu training, he would not have done what he did. Or at least, I shouldn't say that, I don't know what's in his heart. I can say that more than likely with, let's say, a year worth of jujitsu training, a year worth of mixed martial arts training, in that year he would have learned respect. He would have learned good judgment. He would have had started to develop good character. His ego would have been crushed so that he didn't need to prove anything to his fellow officers or to those who were standing by watching this happen. He wouldn't have had to prove anything to George because he wouldn't have had to prove anything to himself. Because in jiu-jitsu, in mixed martial arts training, you find out the truth about yourself, whether you like it or not. Your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities, your strengths, your skills. Jiu-jitsu, in particular, it humbles you. It crushes your ego. It shows you, it exposes, it holds in front of you your own beating heart and says, this is who you are. Now, is that who you want to continue to be? Do you want to build on this or do you want to seek to tear this down and rebuild something else in its place, something better, something stronger, something good? Then when you encounter a man who appears to be intoxicated or high on drugs, you can de-escalate the situation before it even begins because you know how to handle yourself in a fight. You know how to handle yourself as a man in a confrontation or an engagement with another person. So that when that other person who may appear to be high or intoxicated or inebriated does not pull a knife, does not pull a gun, does not act aggressively toward you, you in kind do not escalate the conflict. You do not create the conflict or escalate the conflict. You do not seek to engage this person with violence that is not equal to the level of energy that is coming at you. If you come at me, let's say a 5 out of 10, Let's say that you're mildly aggressive towards me. Maybe you're just talking to me in a way that is agitated, semi-threatening, but not emotionally. You're not out of control. I have a choice in that moment. Escalate the situation. Escalate the conflict. Bring it up to seven or eight. Speak more aggressively. Threaten you. Adopt a posture and a facial expression that is threatening and aggressive. I can choose to de-escalate. The situation and take it from a five to a three. I can speak gently and kindly. I can choose not to respond with the same level of smug entitlement or mild aggression, passive aggressiveness that you've chosen to display towards me. Or I can respond in kind. But I have that choice because I'm trained and I've been in a fight. I've been tested in the gym and in competition. I know myself. I know who I am. I also know the variables. I know the consequence of violence and the variables that come with that and the intangibles, the things that I can't control in those moments. So that if I choose to escalate the conflict or create a conflict, I am also choosing to introduce into that conflict variables that are outside of my control. And once I open the door to those, whatever happens as a consequence is my responsibility. So if I chose to drag a man off a car, put him on the ground, face down, put my knee in his throat and put all of my weight down on the knee, that's my choice. I'm choosing to create a conflict or escalate a conflict that is there already. And therefore I am now responsible for the consequences of my actions. But if you don't have that training, if you don't have that background, because it creates a dynamic of intimidation between you and the community, Then what we're talking about is not just the behavior of a few individual police officers. We're discussing institutional corruption from the top down, from the mayor to the police chief to the officers on the street. And then what do we do? Do we fire the four officers and say, there, justice is done? Do we charge the officer with murder and put him in jail and say, there, justice is done? And then allow the politicians and the police chief to mollify the public to pacify the public with sweet nothings, with words that seek to pacify the public and say, there, it's dealt with. We're going to make changes. We're inviting community leaders to sit on a special committee or council to make real, long-standing changes to the infrastructure of our department. If that's the case, then why in the 90s when I heard that has nothing changed? Why when that was said in the 70s and 80s had nothing changed when I was running around in downtown Minneapolis in the 90s? If institutional corruption, as we've been told over and over again, is not being curbed, the infrastructure is not being changed, the institution perpetuates itself and continues to do so, why do we, as the public, those who they are sworn to protect and serve, why do we continue to allow this to happen? And then why, on the other side, are we surprised when George Floyd is murdered and thousands of people and go out into the streets and protest and throw rocks and attack people. Why are we surprised? How far can you push a group of people? How far can you push a person before they finally snap? What cocktail of events has to happen before a person or a group of people finally say, enough is enough? We've seen it already with the population in general and the response to certain governors autocratic, authoritarian dictates that are masked as concern. People have just quit listening, turned off the TV and gone outside and just started going about their lives. Small business owners are opening in defiance of governor's orders. Churches are opening in defiance of governor's orders. People are already angry. Like I said, they're fearful, they're anxious, they're insecure, but they're also angry. They're angry that the federal government has no plan for reopening states have no plan for reopening. It seems as if governors are picking and choosing who is essential and who is non-essential, which is just soft language for there are essential people in our society and non-essential people in our society. And when a police officer murders a man, what you're essentially saying by not holding those officers accountable to the same laws as you and I are held accountable to, what you're saying is depending on what uniform you wear, murder isn't always murder. If you want equity, if you want justice, if you want people to believe your rhetoric, then you have to hold yourself to the same standards of accountability and responsibility and justice and morality as everyone else. Because as a leader, whether it be a police officer, whether it be a soldier, whether it be a mayor or a governor or a senator or a congressperson or the president, we chose you and said, We want you to be responsible for protecting us. We want you to be responsible for legislating laws that are beneficial to society as a whole, that benefit all people to one degree or another. But you are not above us. You are not better than us. You are chosen from amongst us to represent us. That's what representative government means. On the other side, so that I'm clear, I have a lot of friends in law enforcement, police, county sheriff, state patrol. I have friends in every branch of the military, veterans who are friends from every branch of the military. I am not anti-cop. I'm not anti-military. Obviously I wouldn't have done this podcast if that were the case, because this is about the warrior ethos and about living as a warrior and embracing those old values that seem more and more nowadays to be obsolete and outdated according to the public. In fact, I made the comment the other day, if the nineteen if the World War II generations, the nineteen forties, the World War II generation are the greatest generation, then maybe in thirty or forty years, documentaries about now will be entitled The Weakest Generation. Because that's what it seems like to me. This is the weakest generation, the most cowardly generation in the history of the United States, in my opinion. So we're afraid to deal with the consequences of our actions. We don't want to take responsibility for our choices. We want other people to take accountability and take responsibility. So we elevate the state to the level of a God. And the words of mayors and governors and politicians, federal politicians, we elevate their words as if they are God himself, and their word is his command, and therefore we must follow it because we cannot betray God. But they're not gods. They held themselves up as elites Others hold them up as elite, but they're not. They're people. They're plain, ordinary people. And when they die, no matter how much money they have in their pocket, no matter how much power and influence they may have over society, when they die, they die like the rest of us. They rot like the rest of us, and they will meet their judge just like the rest of us. So why is it then that we allow ourselves to be mollified and coddled and to be fed sugar-coated lies by people who, although they claim to represent us and claim to want what is best for us, demonstrate through their behavior that that's a lie. I'm not going to judge you by your words. I'm going to judge you by the consequence of your words. I'm going to judge you by how you act on your words. Because at a certain point, we need to stop talking about justice and act justly. We need to stop talking about what a moral man is and just be just moral. We need to stop talking about what or what isn't good character and just be people of good character. It's like I heard last week, a good choice now is better than the best choice too late. So why do we do that? Why, when we know from experience, if you've lived long enough, you know. If you've been around long enough, you know. If you're on social media, you know. Why do we continuously allow ourselves to be pacified by people that don't have our best interest at heart? Why do we let them tell us when we are allowed to enjoy our civil rights, when we are allowed to enjoy our constitutional rights? Why are we allowing people who don't have our best interest in hand, who are not behaving civilly themselves? Why do we wait for them to allow us to go back to church? or allow us to reopen our businesses, or allow us to go to the lake, or go for a hike, or go camping, or go to the park, or go into a business. Why do we do that? Part of it is what I talked about in the previous podcast about obedience and how we're hardwired to obey higher authorities, and how we actually construct institutions and cultures around that ethic, and then we elevate people to elite status, and then treat them as gods or demigods. It's in our popular media. We do this all the time. That's why comic book movies are so popular. And there's gods in comic book movies like Thor. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is what I'm going to read today by a French philosopher, Etienne de la Boitie. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, Boitie. It's just a short little excerpt, but it goes to the point that in the end, George Floyd died while someone stood there with their camera out recording it. But there were a lot of other people In frame that could have done something. Why is there no good Samaritan law that allows us to stop a police officer from murdering George Floyd? Because you and I both know what would happen. If I, as a mixed martial artist, ran up to that cop and knocked him off of George in order to save George's life and said, hey man, you're killing him, we all know what would happen to me. I would be beaten and pepper sprayed, maybe to death, or at the very least within an inch of my life. I would be arrested. And let me tell you, if you think what they do to you on the street is bad, you should see what they do to people after they get them behind closed doors. We know that because we have no legal recourse after the fact. So why is there no good Samaritan law that protects me as a citizen when I act to protect and save the life of a guy like George Floyd? Because I don't care what the reasons are for why you thought you should have done that to him. Nothing justifies murdering him. He had no gun. He had no knife. He was no physical threat to the four of you. He was one man. So I don't care to hear the gaslighting techniques of the media or politicians who say, well, he did this or he did that, and that's why they did this. Nothing that you argue, to me anyways, can justify murder. Nothing that you say can justify to me to give me a good enough reason to say, well, you killed him, but he deserved it. Nobody does. Unless you're coming at me with a gun out, firing shots at me. What, what is the argument? How can you justify that? And why, for the love of God, why does it always have to be a white cop and a black man? At some point, again, for the love of God, at some point, Can we stop this? Can we just figure it out? I mean, we're worried about climate change and saving the planet. We don't even know how to get along with each other. We can't even stop ourselves from killing each other. We haven't figured out racism, and it's 2020. And we're talking about saving the planet in 100 years. How about we point all of that energy that we pour into climate change and that whole argument as an example, How about we take all of that energy and focus it entirely upon this generation after generation after generation of police officers. Again, not all police officers, not even a majority of police officers. All of the veterans that I've talked to, all of the police law enforcement people that I've talked to are sickened and disgusted by this and say it's wrong, wrong, wrong. Because those are human beings. These are not people without character or ethics these are not people who don't train martial arts with me, for example. They see this for what it is. It's wrong, it's morally evil. But what we see is this incident happening over and over and over again. And in the age of social media and smartphones, it's impossible to hide or nearly impossible to hide. So, why? Why don't we stop listening to our leaders? and turn and face each other, because right now in downtown Minneapolis, you have black people, brown people, you have white people, you have Latinos and Mexicans, you have black folk, you have white people, you have Hmong, you have Chinese, Japanese, South Pacific, Indian, African, European people, all together, united, in protest of this murder. So we can do it as individual people. We can choose to do this. We can choose to not be enslaved to the rhetoric of the politicians. We can choose that. We can choose to be united and recognize that what divides us more than anything is the rhetoric of the media and politicians who want us divided, who want us fighting with each other so that we don't recognize the truth, that the real problem with our society are the politicians that we choose to lead us and the media. And if we just turned our backs and said, no more, we're not going to listen to you anymore. You're not going to divide us anymore. We're not going to let you dictate to us what is moral or ethical anymore and tell us what is good character and what is unity and what is community. We're not going to let you do that anymore. We're going to judge each other based on the content of our character. And we're going to act for each other to take care of each other because, in the end, we're human beings. And we're all made by God equal in his eyes. And I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care how much money you make at the end of the day. I don't care what neighborhood you live in. All I care about is who are you as a human being? And what can I do to help you live a better life? And right now, there are thousands of people saying, enough with the taking of lives, especially this way. There was no reason for this to happen, no reason whatsoever. But now that it's happened, there's a reckoning. And I just hope that we don't allow ourselves, once the emotions are played out, I just hope and pray that we don't stop holding every police department accountable to protect and to serve the public, the whole public, and to put in place protocols that actually benefit the police officers, protect the police officers from themselves, allow them to police themselves, but also to be accountable to the community. Like I said, I would love for every martial arts gym in every city to go to local law enforcement, to go to the fire department, to go to the EMTs and say, hey, you're on the front lines every day. You see some crazy stuff and you have to deal with stuff that I can't even imagine. I'm going to offer you free classes, free training, or at a discount, whatever it might be. I'll come to you. I'll come to the firehouse. I'll come to the, to the precinct. We can meet at my gym. Wherever you want to do this at, I'll do this because I want to help you be equipped and give you all of the tools that I think are necessary to de-escalate violence, to de-escalate a conflict, to hopefully save yourself and the person that you're engaged with in such a way that you both get to go home alive at the end of the night, that you both get to go back to your family, that you both get to put your head down on your pillow and rest and say, that was a good day. We can do that as a martial arts community. Many already do it. And I salute all of you who are already engaged in this. It's something that I strive for. God willing, I actually get my purple belt someday. (laughs) And the gyms are opened back up. This is something that I strive to do, is to give back to those police officers, county sheriff, state patrol, marshals, who are good men and women and who have been good neighbors to me and have served and protected me and my family. I want to give back to them and I want to show them I respect you and I have a high regard for the job that you do. And this is something I can give back to you. If you have faith, I want to be your pastor. If you don't have faith, but you want to learn self-defense and combatos, I'm here to help you with that too. Because it, it can only improve our community if we take responsibility ourselves for the betterment of each other. And stop leaving it to those who live removed from us, who live in high-rises or live in mansions or flee the city during the COVID outbreak for cabins or their summer houses or fly away to different states while we stay and suffer and we stay and struggle. I don't know. It's been one of those weeks. So I'll read this quote and then I'll tune out. This is from Etienne de la Boitie from the Discourse on Voluntary Servitude. He explains, Obviously, there is no need of fighting to overcome this single tyrant, for he is automatically defeated if the country refuses consent to its own enslavement. It is not necessary to deprive him of anything, but simply to give him nothing. There is no need that the country make an effort to do anything for itself, provided it does nothing against itself. It is therefore the inhabitants themselves who permit, or rather bring about their own subjection, since by ceasing to submit, they would put an end to their servitude. A people enslaves itself, cuts its own throat, when having a choice between being vassals and being freemen, it deserts its liberties and takes on the yoke, gives consent to its own misery, or rather apparently welcomes it. We submit ourselves to our own subjection, whether that be for good or for evil. We enslave ourselves. we cut our own throat because we have a choice, whether to be slaves or whether to be free. It is not a contradiction. It is not mutually exclusive that we want to fight for civil liberties, our civil rights, and protect the health and well-being of our neighbor at the same time. Those are not contradictory. But to listen to the media and politicians you would think that those were the only two choices. You're either team don't kill grandma or your team make money. Versus no. You can actually do both simultaneously so long as you're free to do it. If I'm free to open up my business, if I'm free to make a paycheck and free to put money on my kid on my table for my kids, I'm also then free to help my neighbor put food on their table. But if I can't open my business and I can't make money and I can't put food on my table, I don't have time to worry about my neighbor and whether they're eating or not because my family's starving. I can't worry about whether he's sick or not when I have to worry about our kids being sick because they can't go outside. They can't build up their immune system. They can't get the proper vitamins. They can't get the proper nutrients. It's not either or. That's how we get divided. We take up this side or that side. We're team red or team blue. We're team conservative or team liberal. We're team grandma or we're team capitalism. No. It's a lie. It's a false false dichotomy. And we cut our own throat by doing so because we cut our neighbor's throat. The health and the well-being of our neighbor is our health and well-being because everything that we have came from someone else's labor. Everything I have came from someone else and the work that they did. All the food in my refrigerator came from somebody else's labor. The car that I drive, someone else built that for me. The gas that goes into the car. Someone else had to get that gas for me. I don't know how to make gas. This whole rig that I record on, somebody else made that. You subscribe to the show. Encourage me with your DMs and your texts. Support me financially. All of that is from outside of myself. I didn't do that. I don't deserve. I'm not entitled to any of that. You choose to listen. You choose to support me financially. You choose to share this with other people. And no, that's not a commercial. It's just on my mind as an example, like all of this is possible because of other people. I can't train jujitsu without other people. You can try, but it doesn't really work. I can't train Muay Thai without a sparring partner. You can only kick so many trees before you need a real human being to interact with. Everything that I've ever received in life, good or evil, has been from other people. And then I chose in that moment, whether to receive or reject that and they chose whether to receive or reject me. But we go around all the time thinking, believing, it's all about me and what I can get for myself. It's all about taking care of me and my own without stepping back and reflecting that everything that we have came from someone else's labor. And that if we all come together and recognize that together as a community, that each individual contributes something unique and necessary to our community. And that all of us together together are stronger as a consequence, that's when we start to move forward as a society. That's when culture is enriched and improved. Each individual enjoys their rights as a free man or woman, and then comes together with other free men and women and says, hey, I've got this. You've got that. I learned this. I learned this from Sesame Street when I was three. You've got paints. I've got paintbrushes. He's got paper. If we come together, we can all paint a pretty picture. I learned this when I was three. What happened? Well, we became weak as a consequence of the luxury and privileges that we enjoy. We became cowards. We gave away more and more of our freedoms to others and said, here, you take care of this. You think for me. You make decisions for me. I'll just do what you tell me to do. And then when those people make decisions we don't like and do things we don't like, we complain and we post about it on social media, but we don't do anything about it. We are obsessed with trivialities. We are amusing ourselves to death because all we care about is pleasure. But what happens when something isn't pleasurable anymore and our cravings don't satisfy us anymore and our relationships are empty and hollow and don't provide any nutritive value to us anymore in body, soul, or mind? Then what? Who are we going to look at and say, this is your fault, you did this, In the end, we cut our own throat. In the end, we enslave ourselves by giving away our freedom. We give up our liberties, and instead we put on a yoke of slavery. And it's not a light yoke, either. It's not an easy burden. Instead, we consent to our own misery, because all we care about is feeling good. All we care about is pleasure. That's why McDonald's is open, and liquor stores are open, and opiate subscriptions are being filled That's why people sit on their couch and play video games and watch TV all day every day. That's why people don't want to go back to work. Because we love pleasure and we'll do anything to enjoy it. Gyms are shut down. McDonald's is open. Liquor stores are open. But what about health food stores? What about the vitamin shop? I can get opiates at the drop of a hat. But I don't really hear anybody saying, we need to stay healthy. We need to build up our immune systems by eating the right foods, getting enough sleep, making the right choices, thinking critically, reading books, engaging in critical dialogue with each other, holding each other accountable, taking care of each other. That's why this whole we're in this together is its complete bullshit. When a political leader says we're in this together, they say it from behind the walls of their mansion. We're not in this together. I talked about that a couple podcasts ago. That language, that, that language of, of collectivism is basically a way to destroy individuality and individualism and independence by saying, well, why are you doing your own thing? Why are you so wrapped up in civil rights and freedom when people are suffering? We're all in this together, you know. Aren't you in this with us? It's like, well, as a point of fact, the only person that I see that isn't in this with us is you, the one saying that. It's a sugar-coated lie. We must hold our leaders accountable and responsible. We must. We must hold law enforcement accountable and responsible. We must hold each other accountable and responsible. Do I blame the police officers for the death of George Floyd? 100%. Do I blame the mayor and the police chief for creating conditions within the institution that opened the door to this? 100%. Do I think that violence is the only answer? Absolutely not. I think it's the last answer. I think that's what you respond with when you're against the wall and you have no other choices. And everybody's got to make your, their own choice about when that is. And there's thousands of people right now who are saying, enough. Enough's enough. So, we all, I think, need to take a step back. We all need to take a step back and detach and observe reality. Observe it. Not our perception of reality. Not how we want things to be, but actual reality. And then ask, am I contributing to this slavery, or am I contributing to freedom? Am I contributing to justice or injustice? Am I contributing to other people's health and well-being, or am I being selfish and taking away from that? Because there's people I love, and that's what, for me, personally hurts the worst about this, is that there's people I love who are not white. And even though we love each other, this is a thing then. It's a seed that gets planted in our minds, and it's always there. And I don't want it to be there, but it is. And now that seed of of skin color, and that seed of class status, and that seed of blue lives versus black lives, those seeds are planted in my mind now. And whether I want them to or not, they're going to grow. And now I got to fight and struggle because they're weeds. They're not fruit trees, they're weeds. But, thankfully, I think the path forward is love. And I know that sounds corny, but I mean it sincerely is that if you want to defeat racism and classism and sexism and all the isms if you if you really really want to do something to change that you have to love each other you have to love each other as you would want to be loved if you were in that situation if somebody had their knee on my neck i would want george floyd to run to my rescue and knock that police officer off me and i pray god gives me the strength if I'm ever in that situation, that I would have run toward the fight, not away from it. So, to my friends, my teammates, to my neighbors, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Love each other. Because we're all we've got. God bless. Peace.